Welcome back to the Healthy Perspectives Podcast, where we chat about all things patient, healthcare, innovation, and technology. I'm your host, Kate Rubin, and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to interview Nikki Battle, Senior VP of Engagement Strategy at CDM Princeton. Our chat centers around the term influencers, someone who has the power to influence and affect the purchasing decisions of others. We discuss the evolution of influencer marketing, particularly how healthcare brands are approaching it, as well as tips for developing impactful influencer strategies. Let's get started. So Nikki, so good to have you on the podcast. I believe you've listened to our show before. I am a fan, an original fan. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, So this episode is going to center around influencers. Um, As our world becomes more and more sort of digital first, so too comes the rise and power of the influencer. I know I myself have been sort of under the influence um, of them before. I recently moved into my first house and I just like went on a saga of following a lot of like home design and decor um, influencers. And I, I feel like as I walk through through my house, like my kitchen faucet is from like some somebody that I saw that had it. I was like, oh, I must have that. Um, my paint colors too. So really like, it's crazy how these type of people can really shape who who we are. No, absolutely. I think we kid ourselves if we don't consider that 90% of our purchases are actually influenced by other people. So definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like there's sort of the traditional word of mouth, which has been around since the dawn of time, but with social media, you know, we definitely look to people who we admire, who entertain us, and who ultimately might lead us down the path of making a purchase. So I'm curious, what was your last influencer-inspired purchase? I think I'm going to share the most ridiculous one. Yes, and please. <laughs> that has to be about a month ago, I have purchased a luggage belt. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a belt for my luggage so that I can strap my purse and my jacket to my luggage so that I look very nice as I'm zooming through the airports that I will not be frequenting for at least the next four or six months. So that it's beautiful. It's and, and I mu I had to have it as soon as I saw it, but it's That's amazing. Yeah. So going to the airport in style <laughs> and making sure everything is all kind of in one place. Yeah, I'm going to look great. That's awesome. Um, so was this purchase from an influencer that um, you follow, that you like? No, I, I was just served an ad, like a 100% consumer here. I was served wow. an influencer ad of a luggage belt and I got it immediately. That's awesome. Um, do you have a favorite influencer or perhaps an influencer campaign? That's a tough one. I honestly just, there's too many good ones. I have to say like from a social justice perspective, I think um, like what David Hogg from the Parkland shooting and Naomi Wadler from March for Our Lives rally, they've just done a tremendous job getting the youth interested in politics and um and, and just being concerned about what's going on in the world. Uh, I also 
really stand the rollout of that very popular earphone that we all know about. Um, it was launched by like one of the biggest tech giants, by one of the biggest producers in the music industry. So they didn't even need the help of influencers, but their product placement in videos and with athletes was just tremendous. Like it couldn't have been more perfect. And I'm going to name one more because I cannot not mention Cardi B because no matter how you may feel about her, her use of social media is sublime and she establishes herself as an expert across so many vehicles and verticals and she manages to make money in each and every one of them. So definitely. I'm not sure if you um, saw recently it was her daughter's birthday and I think her partner put up a billboard that said happy birthday culture, which was so cute. <laughs> Yeah, they they just they really get this marketing thing. That's for sure. They really do. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, too, because a billboard seems so old school, but like they somehow like reinvigorated it. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Um, so let's take a step back um, for listeners that might not be as familiar with the term, you know, in terms of the definition of an influencer, the way I see it, and I'd love to get your thoughts too, but it to, to me, it seems like it's a person that has sort of established cred, um, who's able to inspire and entertain. And as I mentioned before, kind of take a follower down that path to potentially make a purchase. Um, you know, it, what's nice is that this group of people they sort of welcome you into their world. Um, you really, I, I, it's kind of weird, but I feel like for certain influencers, I feel like I know them, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm curious to, to know your thoughts ar around how you would define them. I, I'm very closely aligned to what you just said. I think the only thing that I would do to broaden it is to, to go beyond just a person. So it could be a person or an entity with that yeah. established voice of trust. I really think that that's the most succinct definition for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the term influencer, I'd love to just sort of break it down because to me, over the years, I've seen it, I've grown accustomed to it. Do I like it? I don't know because it, it the word itself, I think of like, you know, a little bit of peer pressuring, being under the influence. And I, I wonder... My, my question to, to you is, do you feel the same way? And also the, the term itself, sort of the evolution of this group of people, how has it changed? This is something that it's like we all know it, but we just haven't been able to fix it yet. But I think the term influencer is triggering. I think we're going to have to reinvent it because, you know, when I first started working with people with a voice, uh, we call them tastemakers. So if you think about tastemakers and influencers, it just sounds so elitist and exclusive. And I agree that we're gonna have to just start to couch it in a different way as we talk about it moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm seeing the word creator crop up a little bit more and that one I gravitate towards just a bit more because the term creator I, I I feel like right now it might be considered like an offshoot of an influencer I know not all influencers um, create the work that they do but with a creator it sounds sort of like a one-stop shop you know it, it's nice that they produce the content that they genuinely care about 
um, and content that adds value. So I, I wonder if in time the evolution will be that influencers start to become more of that one-stop shop. Yeah, I, I think they, for some brands, they already are. Um, and I really do like the word creator. I think, I think making it a little bit more um, accessible to other people could even be calling them co-creators so that uh-huh. you don't feel like you're passing off your brand voice to individuals or entities. But I do really like that creator term. Yeah. Now, this is a tough question, but I would love to just get your thinking on it. Um, what do you think makes a good influencer? So obviously, it, it really varies on what it is that you're trying to influence. But we always assess uh, the folks that we reach out to by reach, uh, relevance and resonance. So reach isn't just like what their followership is, but it's more like where are those opportunities to extend the brand voice? So if you're already really strong on Instagram and there's someone that has a really robust, you know, uh, newsletter list even, that, that reach has to be taken into consideration. And then for the relevance, it's just making sure that that person is talking about the same things that you want them to talk about. If if you're doing an assessment of their post and only 3% of their content is about that subject, they may not be the best influencer. So I think, you know, identifying those folks that are speaking the same language in the same way and in the same spirit are, are ideal. And then lastly, the resonance, folks that are getting good engagement on that content, on your area of interest. You know, you don't want someone just speaking at people, trying to sell <laughs> luggage belts, <laughs> you know, but if people are like, wow, I've never seen such a thing, I'm gonna purchase it. Like that resonance is really the most attractive thing about a great influencer. Yeah, yeah. And you brought up speaking the same language and sort of being aligned. It it makes me think about how influencers, I, I feel like there's been a shift where in the past an expert might be, I mean, what we traditionally think of an expert um, in the field, in certain niches. Um, I feel like influencers have adopted that title. Um, you know, the anatomy of the influencer to me has become part expert, part trendsetter, part creator. And I I feel like there's a lot that goes into this role in order to build relationships. Um, So do do you also think that influencers have sort of adopted that expert title? Yeah, I think the expert plus the creator part of your, your formula makes sense to me. I will say that some of the best influencers definitely don't use words that make them sound like experts. I think what resonates with people most are those reluctant experts, those reluctant heroes that stumbled on something that changed their life or made things better. And now they they just feel compelled to share it with you as opposed to someone that comes in, you know, like a scientist and pointing out all the facts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think what's, interesting kind of turning this over to the pharma side since you know um in terms of healthcare um that's a bit more of our focus um an influencer could easily be a patient um so i would love to get your thoughts on 
not only patient advocates in the space, but as you know, um, our listeners might not, but pharma and healthcare, there's been a little bit of a, um, I don't want to say reluctance, but just a, a little bit of a hesitancy um, to dipping toes into sort of the influencer realm. And I, and I think it's because obviously, um, you know, there's um, regulatory, there's com- compliance. You, you want influencers to maintain their authentic voices, but you have to strike that balance of making sure that you're compliant. So um, would love to dive into that a little bit more. Yeah, it's definitely a scarier um, territory in pharma because you just, you can't control it. And I think it's one of those industries where it's really important to control the narrative, to control the language, particularly around treatment. Um, so I, I am encouraged, though, by how much more I am seeing on that front. But there still is a lot of work to be done, I think, um, from a governance perspective and scenario planning on how, you know, how to react uh, to things that are happening with influencers or influencer groups in pharma. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think of the real patient versus the real patient celebrity, and it sort of takes me to, you know, waters of inauthenticity. I mean, I'm sure you, you know, the, Kim Kardashian endorsement of a morning sickness pill back in 2015. There was FDA regulations up the wazoo. It was like it was uh it, it did not go over very well. So I wanted to get your thoughts on sort of that dichotomy. Yeah, I think I think and we talk about this a lot obviously in our space, but I think the issue there was that she was not a good influencer for that yeah. brand. Like that was just, they didn't do their reach relevance and resonance assessment there. You know, if this were jeans, a pair of jeans or something else, that would have been perfect. But um, that that was the, the failing on that front. No one was looking to her on, you know, to give advice on, on morning sickness. I do think that there are some very few examples where a celebrity patient could, you know, make sense. And that's, those are the folks that have already sort of synonymous with something like Michael J. Fox and Parkinson's like that, you know, that if he says something, it's just, it's real. Um, But I, I do think that there's still much more trust and um, just, you know, day-to-day sort of recognition of like, that's my story if you pick those regular patients. Um, yeah. Yeah, I right. think people want to go directly to the celebrity, but that's, if you really are doing your criteria assessment correctly, you probably won't land there first. Right. Let's flip it over to HCPs, um, healthcare providers. I know in the past, I myself have gone to Google for health advice, which obviously might not be the most um, uh, wise thing to do. And of course, it's obviously important to talk to your your doctor first about any health issues. But um, I'm seeing a rise of patients turning to social media to get answers. And while it's not encouraged to get diagnoses um, online, I feel like there's also to that point, a rise of 
HCP influencers. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I was smiling as you were saying this because I'm just so fascinated by this piece, the part where patients ha- are get gathering information from Dr. Google and you know all of their forum discussions and social media discussions and. Even, you know, in my own personal visits with a a physician, if I bring up something that I've read, you can see, you can see the the horror on their face. Like, I can't believe I'm going to have to combat something that this person that has not gone (laughs) to school, (laughs) you know. um, You're suddenly the expert. (laughs) I'm suddenly the expert. And, um, but you know what? I just think this is where we are. We have to embrace this reality that, once you find your community, whether it's a forum, once you find your person that has your same condition on social, like that is going to be a legitimate stream of information for you. And I think physicians would do well to to maybe almost get social listening reports so that they know what's happening in the space. So when someone comes in and is talking about, you know, is dandelion tea going to work for me? They're not going to be, you know, just completely... Um, like surprised by that. They're going to know that this is something that's hap- trending in the space. And I do see some specialists having more patient-facing content across their own personal socials. I mean, just in my experience, I would say dermatologists, fertility specialists talk directly to patients more on social than they do to their colleagues. Um, whereas I would say, you know, he monks definitely have more of a professional discussion, I'd say, across social media. So it would really depend on, um, you know, where their comfort level is. Not all HCPs have the same, you know, way of communicating. But I do think that there are some physicians out there that can gain traction with patients because they just have that sensibility about them and they know how to break things down. Yeah. I'm curious to learn a little bit more about the work that you've done with HCP and patient influencers, um, you know, you can take me through sort of some of your favorite ones, some best practices that you've learned, but what would love to, you know, drill in and see uh, what work you, you've done. Yeah, so we have done work on both fronts. And um, I can say on the consumer side, we've done more work on the caregiver space. And that is um, like just near and dear to my heart because it, you get invested right in their stories as you're identifying the right folks. And you really, you realize that, um, they're in it for the passion. They're in it as those like reluctant heroes that I was talking about. They didn't want to be in this position, but now that they are, they want to make sure that they're sharing the news far and wide on how to deal with this, how to manage this and the steps that they're taking. So, I would say um, some of the best practices, like we have a very clear process, and especially for working on a plan that includes multiple influencers, we have to be clear on that process because we need to, you know, manage it really tightly, especially before everything launches. Uh, but identification, we already talked about the things that you need to to look for. The next part is engaging. And that is where everything can fall apart. And I would definitely say a best practice is to, you know, be super mindful about the nature of the conversation you're about to have with this person. You know, you're contacting them on behalf of a brand and it's going to seem self-serving unless you make that 
personal connection with them. You let them know what it is about them that you like, the part of the journey that resonates with you and how you think you can help them even further, you know, some of their activities in the space. So I think, you know, making sure you have that, you know, you have, you've done your homework and you've got all that stuff ready in a script, like have your points like mapped out because the worst thing you can do, and we've seen it, I'm sure you've seen it, is someone to reach out to an influencer by email or DM and then they, the influencer screenshots it because it's just so bad, you know, it was just like a form letter and it was just not great. I think that's something that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, I feel like boilerplate language can just like go out the door. <laughs> you know, you don't want to sound like a robot. Um, and you touched upon doing your homework, which is something I have said word for word before with this. Um, it's so crucial. Uh, I, I I think some of the key takeaways for me in terms of doing your homework is audience size shouldn't be the first proxy. I I feel like there's this maniacal, you know, feeling and thought around, oh, this influencer needs to have the biggest following. Or even if you're looking at micro influencers, you're still keeping audience at the forefront of your thinking. And, and that really doesn't necessarily need to be the case. Um, and, you know, once you've figured out the influencers that you want to move forward with, um, boiling it down, contrast can be fine, but you need to make sure that context is key. Um, to your point, is this influencer relevant? Um, do they feel genuine to, to the brand? Um, and then that takes me to another thought about partnerships where you do want to co-create together um, it should feel like a partnership between this person and the brand. And it makes me wonder about short-term partnerships versus long-term. I, I, I waver with this because I do feel like it's important to build that relationship in order for an influencer to continue sharing content and really making it feel like they are aligned with a brand. So I'm wondering when it comes to trust, do you think that it can be built in a single post? So I would say yes, because that's how I am the new proud owner of a luggage belt. (laughs) That's true. But also, um, if they are an established voice of trust, then one post can make a big difference. But I completely agree with you though. When you get to the contracting level and you're you're co-creating content, the content is going to be better if you have a longer term agreement with that person or that entity because you're going to see what works in this space, especially if you have like a channel mix. So we're talking about maybe it's one email, one Instagram story, And then you get to see like what really resonated with their own network and then you can fine tune it and make sure you get, you know, to a better place. So I think especially in healthcare, um, it behooves us to try and have these longer term relationships for for sure. But I do think that a really impactful piece of content can move the needle for a brand. Yeah. I'd like to talk about 2020. Uh, it's happened. It's happening. Um, the events of the year 
COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, the election. There's just been a lot going on this year to think about. And when centering it in the realm of influencers, do you feel like it's changed influencer marketing? I think that there's been a lot of, um, you know, think pieces about, you know, influencer being dead. And I, I really feel that's more of a reaction to the some, some of the things we talked about today, like calling them influencers. And then, you know, there's been some controversy about the, you know, jet setting influencers and how they don't really have anything to influence at this point. Um, but I would argue that those folks probably were not great influencers to begin with, if that's all they had, right? Um, if they didn't establish a connection early on, and it was really just about product placement, then yeah, that that influencer stuff is dead and it should go away, you know? Um, but I think, I mean, to me, I'm I'm fascinated by even just Black Lives Matter and the like. I I always say it took seven years. For that to be part of our lexicon like that is a very that's a long play there <laughs> you know to get something um to the top so i think that's one of the takeaways that we can have that you know having um you know when we talk a lot about like movements and inspiration and motivation and that takes time you know for sure to your point i think 2020 has taught us that authenticity is earned, not faked, or just like handed over. And the most authentic influencers are the ones that I use this example of like, they're brushing their teeth in the morning with like, you know, a a sponsored toothpaste, and then they're eating candy at night, you know, so like, the the ones that are doing it very superficially, um, are, I think, being weeded out. And I think it's great. No, I agree. Um, and I think more people are realizing that they also have influence um, in these times. And I heard on the last podcast where you had Patrick on and he, you know, he's just really passionate about gay rights, trans rights. And then we all realize we have a voice uh, in this time. And I, I think that's been a really beautiful takeaway as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know we've touched upon what makes a good influencer, but just thinking a little bit more about defining success with influencer marketing, you know, there's um, the execution of it from researching to launching to measurement. Are there any tips or takeaways that you might have? Yeah, I would say, uh, first of all, you know, be really clear um, before you even reach out to your influencer, or even as you identify them on what it is that you're trying to move the needle on. Sometimes I think um, that lack of clarity can can ruin a program. You know, typically when we leverage influencers, it's for awareness, but there are some influencers that can do a tremendous job on increasing positive sentiment. There are influencers that just straight up give credence to a new brand. So you have to just be clear on what it is that you're actually trying to do. And then that way your KPIs are aligned to that. Um, if you're yeah. only looking for awareness, then yeah, well, you'll, at the end of the day, you, you're going to need to measure reach as best as possible, you know, as the programs are live. But, you know, those deeper engagements, again, that shift in like mentions and positive sentiment could actually be what you what you need for the brand. Yeah, yeah. Veering off just a little bit, but 
this was in the news recently, so I wanted to bring it up. Um, with TikTok's sort of uncertain future, as we've seen, there's the, will President Trump, you know, uh, take the platform down? Will he not? Um, do you think that Gen Z influencers, specifically since they flock to that platform, do you think that they're going to jump ship to other platforms now that Instagram has um, unveiled Reels and there's also the new platform Triller? Yeah, I, um, I'm i definitely going to date myself here, but like, you know, I <laughs> cut my teeth on like MySpace rappers, you know what I mean? And Vine stars. And if there's anything that I know for certain is that they will find a new home and they will make it even better than the last place that they were. So, um, you know, I don't love Triller or Reels, but I can't say that I really loved Musical.ly or TikTok either. And still it's really good content. So, you know, it grows on you. So I think that wherever they land, we're all going to be here for it. (laughs) So Yeah, yeah. Um, You piqued my interest because I, too, come from the MySpace era. Um, I... My sister, my younger sister was a bit more in the in, in the vines weeds, no pun intended. Um, but it made me think about I, I'd love to dip into your robust resume. Um, I would love to know more about I know we've talked about influencers in the pharma space, but take me through um, some of your past influencer or tastemaker when you were calling it that back in the day um some of your experience there and what you've learned yeah I think that's why I am so passionate about this is just because I've seen it work in spaces where you know we had a little or a lot less you know regulation so I came into marketing in the entertainment space so I, you know, before I started working at CDM Princeton, one of my last influencer campaigns, I had two. I had a gamer influencer campaign with a very popular telecoms company. And, you know, the budget was gigantic and we had this live event on a streaming platform and it was amazing. And then I also worked with um, Kevin Hart's team. He was launching Laugh Out Loud Network, it's an app, and I just uh, had to identify other comedians that could help, you know, gain traction for the app. So I have definitely um, been able to work in a space where once you identify a voice that can move the needle, then it's really about cultivating that relationship and then keep on moving. And I think that's one thing that I'm hopeful that I bring to this space. It's like, you know, I I don't think that there are no's that can stop me <laughs> because there's always another way. There's always something else that we can be doing to make change. And I think even broadening, you know, some of our definition of what an influencer is, is, is helping us in this space specifically. Yeah, I think you're actually starting to answer my next question, which is um, I, I want to look to the future where do you see influencer marketing leading to? You know, you, you talk about this change and sort of broadening the term. Um, take me through that a, a little bit more. Yeah, so if we think about entities, I think we already do leverage entities as influencers, at least through our media teams, right? They're, you know, something 
is published or there's a live event on a certain platform, it's going to do tremendously well. I do think that in pharma specifically, there are opportunities to, you know, elevate customers or groups or physicians who are, you know, represent centers of excellence and putting those best practices and those stories out there on the forefront as influencer marketing. And I think that, you know, positioning it that way might help some of our clients get into the space a little bit more if they're just a little nervous about handing over their brand to a particular person and their, their LinkedIn feed. Well, Nikki, I think I've picked your brain enough. Um, your experience in the field is invaluable, and I'm so glad that you were able to join me today to chat. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you. It was so lovely chatting with Nikki about influencers and how to harness the power of influencer marketing to help brands. Stay tuned for more updates and perspectives from PMP by following us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and all your favorite social platforms.